Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guest. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to set up a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also, visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com, or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the 9th Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. You know, when we hear the word beatitude, we usually only think of those first few verses of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. We often sometimes think of that because that's what we call those verses, right? The Beatitudes, blessed to the poor in spirit and so on. I suppose if you had to, to pick one that's probably the most well-known, it might be blessed to the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I may not be right about that, it's just a guess, but of all those statements that Jesus made at the beginning of that sermon, that may be the most well-known. But all of them, of course, begin with that word blessed or blessed. Nothing wrong with saying it that way, but I don't park on a reserved parking place. I just, you know, it's reserved. But but they're just those blessings. That's what beatitude means, is just a blessing or to be blessed. But by calling those statements at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, the beatitudes, we sometimes make it seem as if those are the only such statements found anywhere in Scripture. But there are many, many others, even in the New Testament. For example, if you were to read through the book of Revelation... You would find, coincidentally enough, seven Beatitudes. You know anything about the book of Revelation? You know that number is highly significant. And there are seven statements of blessing found in that last book of the New Testament. I suppose the most famous of those is, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 13. But there are a number of others that are found sprinkled throughout the New Testament. And whenever we see those statements that include that word blessed, our ears need to perk up just a little bit. Because these are statements where God himself is saying that if you want a blessed life, as he would describe a blessed life, here is something to keep in mind. Here is an attitude to hold. Here is a heart issue you need to work on. Here is an action you need to to make certain you're involved in. These are statements of blessing from God himself. Hold that thought just for a second. On Sunday mornings this year, in our sermons, we are dealing with the words of Jesus. Our theme for this year, of course, is one word, the word of Christ. And on Sunday mornings, we're just dealing with things Jesus said. And so far through this year, Tyler and I have preached sermons, as you might expect most of them would be, from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. After all, those pages, if you have one of those translations of the Bible that puts the words of Jesus in red, those those pages almost bleed red. It's everywhere where Jesus is speaking, teaching, But once you get past Acts chapter 1, which is, of course, where Jesus ascends back into heaven, if you have one of those red-letter Bibles, those Bibles that put the words of Jesus in red, it becomes almost, I don't know if the right word is, almost jarring in a way to see red letters because Jesus is no longer walking on the earth as he was in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and in those first few verses of the book of Acts. But sprinkled throughout the remainder of the New Testament, you will see from time to time words of Jesus. Sometimes they're quotations, somebody referring back to something that Jesus said. Of course, you come to the book of Revelation and you see those letters to the seven churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 where Jesus dictates letters to those churches. We're going to study a couple of those throughout the year. But this morning, we're going to notice one of those statements that's not found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. 
but that Paul says, Jesus said. We don't know when he said it. It could have been one of those things that John writes about. You recall as John was drawing his account of the gospel near its close, if I may paraphrase, he basically said, if I tried to write down everything Jesus said and did, the world couldn't contain the books. There are a lot of, we don't have a day-by-day chronology of everything Jesus did while he was here on the earth. We couldn't walk around with our Bibles. We couldn't walk around with the book of Matthew if we had everything Jesus did. And so maybe it's one of those things. Maybe it's something Jesus simply told Paul at some point in time. We know that Jesus spoke to Paul as he was on the way to the road to Damascus and possibly elsewhere as well. Maybe it's something he told Paul. But it's something that Jesus said. And now bring what we said at the beginning of our lesson back into your thinking because it is a statement of beatitude. In fact, we're calling our lesson this morning the more blessed beatitude. Because in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35... Paul quotes words of Jesus and gives one of the more famous teachings from Jesus' lips, although it's not found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, where he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. What we want to do this morning is just two things. We want to look at that statement that Jesus made in two ways. First of all, we want to think about why Paul would quote those words of Jesus where he did. We want to think about the context in which they're found. Because sometimes, the second place, by the way, we're going to think about application. And that's what I'm pointing out. Sometimes we take that phrase and only make points of application from it, and we've forgotten where it falls in this conversation that Paul, this speech, I should say, that Paul was making in Acts chapter 20. Because Paul used that phrase from Jesus for a very specific reason, a very specific purpose. So we're going to look at the verse in its context, and then, as I said, we're going to make some points of application. How can this statement be really true that's more blessed to give than to receive? But if you have your Bible open to Acts chapter 20, the first place we want to think about this verse in its context. Why did Paul use that phrase where he did? Now, for the context, we could go a long way back if we wanted to, but if you have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 20, just glance back up. Beginning of verse 17. We're not going to read all these verses, but if you keep your eyes on those verses, you'll see where we're going with this context. In verses 17 and 18, you see that Paul is getting ready to return back to the city of Jerusalem. But before he does that, he wants to meet with the elders of the church from the city of Ephesus. Paul had a great love for those men and vice versa. They had a great love for him as well. And so he sends a messenger to Ephesus to bring these elders back to see him. if that me- We don't know how that messenger went or how the elders traveled to Paul, but if they traveled by land to where Paul was, it was a trip about 63 miles one way. If, of course, Ephesus is near the seacoast, if they traveled down the side of the gulf, it's about 38 miles by boat. And we think, well, that's, that's not that big of a deal. Remember, we're dealing in the first century here. A 63-mile trip by land or a 38-mile trip by boat was a manageable but of significant travel. And so these elders decide they love Paul enough, they want to see him, and so they make that trip whichever way they made it, either by land or by boat around the gulf, to see Paul. And when those elders come to see Paul, he rehearses when he was with them and how he had worked very hard in their presence. For example, in verse 20, He reminds them how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. But now Paul knows that he's going to Jerusalem. 
and he knows it won't be easy. Notice what he says in verse 23. Except the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. He knows it's going to be difficult. He has been given this miraculous knowledge by God that his future holds imprisonment, persecution, wherever he goes. But there's something even more that's weighing on his heart. And that's the reason he calls these elders. And it's found in verse 25 where he says, And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Paul loves these men and they love him. And Paul has been given the knowledge that unless these elders come and see him right now, they're not going to see him again, at least in the flesh. They're not going to see each other on this earth anymore. And that's weighing on his heart. And it's possible it's weighing on his heart. In fact, it's probable that's weighing on his heart because of what he's getting ready to tell them. Paul would take this time, this meeting with these elders, to warn them that from their own number, there would be some who would turn away excuse me, would turn Christians away from the truth. And there will be some from among the elders who would search for their own power. Notice what he says beginning in verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, among the elders, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them or after themselves. And so Paul was warning these elders about dangers from without, but more specifically here, he's really warning about dangers from within, from within their own number. There would be false teachers who would try to draw people away, but there would also be some in the leadership who would sort of want to have their own following, kind of have their own power play here. So what's the answer? What's the answer to keep that from happening? Verse 31, Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. Paul gives these elders a couple of things to do. First, be alert. Keep your eyes open. We'll think of it that way. They've been clearly warned about the fact there are dangers that are coming, false teachers and the pride that could come from within themselves. They need to keep their eyes open to those dangers and hold one another accountable and so on and so forth. But the other way is very interesting to me that Paul warns them or reminds them. And that is that Paul sets himself up as an example. He was a hard worker, night and day. But he kept first things first. His tears that he mentions here, they weren't for himself. But as he admonished, as he warned, as he encouraged the, the Christians at Ephesus, that's who his tears were for. If leaders were, want to stay away from danger, either from without or from within, they put the people they're leading first. But with all that as the background then, Paul continues to point these elders to his own example among them. And he uses it to set up our key verse. In verse 33, he reminds them that he was not a a covetous man. He didn't seek his own wealth. But instead, in verse 34, as we read a little while ago, he worked hard. Not only to cover his own expenses, but also to help others. And then he ended in verse 35. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way... We must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. And here it is. How he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And we're thinking, okay, I get it. We've taken all this time to talk about the context. Have you ever thought about the fact that when Paul used those words, quoted those words from Jesus, in context, what he was really stating was a leadership principle. A leadership principle. 
That's what he's talking about. The we in verse 35 is himself and the elders, the leaders of the church. We must help the weak, he said. That's the we in that verse. But how, how do we do that? Keep in mind the context. Paul was saying to remember his example of humble service. He worked night and day. He gave himself emotionally in tears. He gave himself, we might say, intellectually. He taught the gospel constantly. In other words, he gave of himself for the other people, and he expected these other leaders to do the same. That's the way the verse is used in its context. Now, that should help church leaders today. How how can elders make sure a congregation remains strong, both in its uh, biblical standing as well as in relationship? It is more blessed to give than to receive. But think of what that means in the context. Paul was not just saying that leaders in the church, elders and others, need to only think about how to keep everyone happy. Yes, there was a relationship aspect. that He had tears and so on and so forth. But do you remember, he had also mentioned over and over again in this this context how he had taught the gospel. He had taught it publicly. He had taught uh, taught it house to house. And so there must be a constant emphasis on the biblical bearings, making sure the standard of God's Word remains the standard. But sometimes... We can so get caught up in the intellectual that we forget the relationship. And so Paul also states these things about the tears and how he was willing to give. The relationship aspect. Both things are necessary. It's not an either or. It's a both and. And Paul was saying to these leaders, how do you keep yourself alert? How do you make certain that this, these false teachers don't come in? How do you make sure that pride doesn't well into, into your soul and, and take over your heart? How do you do that? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Give biblically, give relationally. If I may paraphrase, give to the whole person. Don't worry about taking. That's what he's talking about. And some I may think, wow. I'm glad I came this morning because this is a sermon just for the elders. There's only six people in this whole congregation that need need to hear this lesson. But it's interesting that Paul uses a statement here from Jesus in the context to speak to leaders. But it's a statement that's universally true, isn't it? It is more blessed to give than to receive. That's a statement that's just universally true. And so for all of us this morning, I want us to think about some of those points of application. How this verse is true, how this statement is true in all of our daily lives. You know, this verse is one of those statements, is one of those that sometimes maybe is used around the holidays, right? We we try to maybe sit our kids down, they're all excited about getting stuff all the time, and we try to turn into a Bible study, right? Before you get all excited about getting stuff, remember the words of Jesus. And they go, oh man, you even turn getting gifts into a Bible study, right? But we all know that. We all understand that there really is something more that we gain from truly giving than from receiving or getting. And that's especially true when we have sacrificially given. And I don't mean necessarily money. This is giving anything. This is giving of our time. This is giving of our talent. It's giving of our effort. It's giving of our prayers. It's giving financially at times. It's simply giving of ourselves. But again, keep the context in mind. It's giving to the whole other person. It's seeing any need possible. Sometimes it is a spiritual need. Sometimes it's a physical need. Sometimes it's a relational need or a financial need or on and on we could go. It's seeing the whole person. So how is this true? 
How is it true that it's more blessed for us to give than to receive? You could add to this list, I'm sure. In fact, I hope you will. But I want to share with you six things. Six reasons that make this a universal truth. Number one, I would suggest to you that we are never, or at least rarely, more like our Heavenly Father than when we are giving. You know the verse, don't you? For God so loved the world that He what? I hope somebody knows. For God so loved the world that He what? Thank you. I was getting worried there for a second. I just preached that verse a few weeks ago. For God so loved the world that He gave, right? And the gift there is the greatest gift ever given, His only begotten Son. But there are many other verses that talk about God being a giving God. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, James tells us. He has given to us life and breath and everything, Paul said on Mars Hill. God gives every good gift. And when God gives, He gives the best. We're never really more like our Heavenly Father than when we stop being stingy and start being giving. The story is told of a farmer whose cow had two calves, a little red one and a little white one. And the farmer came back into the house that day and told his family, one of these is going to be the Lord's. We're going to raise them both the same way. And when they come to maturity, one of them we're going to sell and give all the proceeds to the Lord's work. And one of his children said, which one? And he said, that doesn't matter right now. We're just going to raise them both the same way. And when they're mature, one will be sold and all the money given away. About a week later, the farmer came in all kinds of distraught. His wife wondered what had happened. He said, the Lord's calf died. And she said, it's, it's only been a week. I, I didn't think anything was going to change until they were grown. He said, yeah, but that one died. So that was the Lord one's, Lord's one. So the Lord's calf died. You know, sometimes that's the way we treat giving. It's not really sacrificial at all. It's, it's simply off the top, simply when I've got some extra time or extra money or whatever, that they, I'll, I'll throw off just a little bit, but it doesn't hurt at all. I don't know how to say this without it making sound almost like bringing God down to our level. I don't mean it to sound that way, but don't you think it hurt God to give His only begotten Son? I don't know the emotions of heaven. I can't understand that. But God doesn't just skim off the top. God gives from the very depths of His soul. You and I are never more like Him than when we give. I love the little phrase in the song we sometimes sing where we say, He blesses and blesses again. I love that little phrase. He blesses and blesses again. You want to be more like God or as godly as you can be? Be a giver. I would also suggest you it's more blessed to give than receive simply because we reap what we sow. And usually, I would add, we reap more than we sow. We gain more. You plant a kernel of corn in the ground, you don't really expect to harvest one kernel of corn. That'd be kind of pointless, right? It'd be kind of old after a while, wouldn't it? So you plant a kernel of corn in the ground, you expect to get quite a bit out of that one kernel. We reap most of the time more than we sow. 
And that's a universal principle. And so Paul brings that same principle into Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7 and reminds us, we reap what we sow. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. When we think about those who do receive, have you ever noticed most of the time there are people who have given? And it's not because they want to receive. It's simply because they are so outgoing and so giving of themselves. And again, it's not always financially. Sometimes it's just that person who goes and sits with those who are sick for hours on end. Guess what happens when they're sick? Cards flow in. Or someone brings by food. Or someone comes to sit with them. Why? Because they're reaping what they've sown. No one's surprised when that person who who gives of themselves in some way receives. It's not why they did it. It's just the way it works. If I may be just so bold, this is something I thought about this week that I had to think about my own life a whole lot. If I ever begin to think that people are just always wanting stuff from me, maybe it's because I'm always just wanting stuff from other people. That's all they're good for. It's just to give me something. Instead, should I not be giving of myself? Again, not so that I can reap, but it does happen, does it not? And isn't, doesn't that make it more blessed as we receive what we have been given? And so that's a reason why it's more blessed. I would also suggest to you it's more blessed to give and receive because sacrificial giving changes our hearts. Remember what God said to, to Samuel as he was talking about David there in the Old Testament, First Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7, when he gave that great principle, don't look at his outward appearance, for God doesn't see as man sees. Man sees the outward appearance, but God sees or God looks at the heart. Have you ever noticed the fact that when you really pour your life into someone else's life, when you really give to someone else, it begins to change you? And I would suggest the reason is, and it ties back to what we talked about a few moments ago from the context, you begin to see the whole person. You begin to think of them as more than just sort of a, a case where you can look good. It's, no, I, I begin to see the whole person. I begin to see those other relationships they have, and maybe I can help there. I begin to see that they really need help in this other area as well. Maybe I can help there or get somebody else to help there. You begin to, to see them much more deeply, and that changes your heart. We, we begin to look for more opportunities because our heart has changed. In connection with that, I would also suggest it's more blessed because number four, Giving reminds us of the real value of other people. Remember creation account? All those, this is good, this is good, this is good, and then God makes man. And there's a longer explanation as, as to what goes on there. Because you have almost a pause in the text. Where you have that, I don't know how to describe it, it's, it's conversation among God himself. Where it's almost like God thinking out loud. And it's when he creates man, he says, let us make man our own image. After our likeness. Remember that? And it's exactly what the text tells us happened in Genesis 1 and verse 27. That God made man his own image. What's that talking about? It's talking about our soul. There are beautiful things all around us in creation. There are amazing things all around us in creation. Plants and animals and all sorts of things. But there is absolutely nothing else in all creation that bears that image of God on our very being. In our soul. That That sole part of us is what makes us different. When you give to other people, you begin to really understand this is another person. 
This is someone else made in the image of God. This is not just a a statistic. This is not just something I can check off my list and say, well, I helped somebody today. Check. Begin to see the real value. This is somebody else made in the image of God. Wouldn't I want someone to help me since I'm made in the image of God? And again, think about that for a moment. If that's true, that this is another person made in the image of God, will I see to that person's physical needs if I can? Sure. Will I see to that person's relational needs if I can help in some way? Maybe counseling or maybe just sending a car or something? I'll try. But you know what else I'll make sure of? I'll make sure eventually it turns to their soul. I am a major proponent of making sure that we become friends with people and try to encourage people as much as we can. But folks, we are never going to do all we need to do until eventually we turn to people's souls and try to win them to Christ. That's the value of the other person. It's not just I made them feel better by giving them some medicine or some money or some counseling. Did I introduce them to Jesus? That's the value of that person. Giving helps us see that. Number five, it's more blessed to give than to receive because when we give, we begin to see the world from the proper perspective. And when that's true because givers never really lack. Even if we give sacrificially, we never really lack. And the reason is, as we're giving to other people, we begin to see the real difference between wants and needs. Now, there are a lot of things I want. <laughs> a lot of things I want. But you know when you're pouring your heart into other people's lives to the glory of God, you begin to realize they really are just once. Psalm 50 and verse 10, the psalmist said about God, Every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. And you've probably heard it said before that, by the way, he owns the forest and the hills too. Everything is God's. And if that is true, then when we're giving to other people, we don't have to worry about where the, the needs of our life are going to come from. God owns everything. And so we begin to see life from a proper perspective. It's not about just piling up stuff that I might want. It's about giving as much as I possibly can. And connected with that, finally, number six, I would suggest to you that it's more blessed to give than to receive because when we give, we must trust in God's provision even more. Now, this is not a, a health and wealth gospel. It's not saying give so you can get and have bigger bank accounts and you know, nicer cars and you know, faster computers and all that kind of. I'm not saying that at all. But what it does become is when we give to other people, it builds our trust that God really will take care of us. I love what David said in Psalm 37, beginning at verse 25. That verse, he said, I have been young and now I'm old. But I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his children begging for bread. Those are some powerful words. Here's someone looking back with a perspective of years and saying, Have there been some difficult times? Yes, this is David. Not everything was wonderful for David all the time, was it? Remember those years he's running from Saul? There are some times in David's life where it was very difficult, very distressing. And David is saying, looking back over the perspective of a lifetime, that you know... When I was righteous, I didn't have to worry about what I was going to eat. God took care of me. When we give, sometimes we think, you know, if I give this, I'm not sure I'll have what I need. Yeah, yeah, I will. I'll have what I need. I may not have everything I want, but I'll have what I need. 
And it causes us to trust in God's provision. And I would suggest to you that's a more blessed thing because isn't that a wonderful place to live where we're trusting in God for everything? That's when we're living not straddling the fence. When we're trying to sort of trust God in this area and sort of rely on ourselves all the time in this area, that's when we have that inner battle. When we say, God, I'm going to do what I can do, but I'm going to trust you with the outcome. I'm going to trust you with blessing. I'm going to trust you with the fact that I will eat today and I will have something, you know, somewhere to put my head and I will have something to put in my body and I'll have water to take in my body. I'm going to trust you with those things. That's a great place to live because God is able. And God is faithful. And so we trust Him. So let me ask this question. How's your giving? Now, when you hear a preacher say that, you think, oh great, here comes the last four or five minutes of sermon. He's, he's probably going to get the guys to come back up here and pass the trays again. That's not what we're talking. Did you notice this morning, I, I have not mentioned the church contribution at all. Financial giving is a part of it. But it's only a small piece of the puzzle. In the context of Acts chapter 20, Paul was not talking about passing trays on Sunday morning. Paul specifically, as we said, was talking about a leadership principle. Am I trying to give to others, to the glory of God, to the whole person, to their spirit as well as to any physical way I can, to their intellect? Am I leading them in that way as in Paul's case, an apostle, or in these elders' case at Ephesus, in their case as elders? Am I leading them every way possible? Am I being a giver to all of the person, the whole person? How's your giving? When you go to work, when you are at school, when you're just in your neighborhood, when you're at home with your family, are you afraid to give to others in whatever way, time, money, ability, whatever, Because it might cost you more than you want. Because it's going to be hard. Because maybe if I give, then I won't have what I everything I might want. Because God may not bless me. Do I only take care of the physical and never consider the spiritual, or vice versa? Am I only you know trying to get people to become Christians and never make sure that I'm trying to build relationships and see to the physical, or is my giving truly sacrificial? And truly generous. We don't know when Jesus originally said the words that Paul quotes in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35. We don't know. As we said a few minutes ago, it could be something Jesus said that's just simply not recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It could be something Jesus said to Paul specifically. We we don't know. I tend to think it's something that's just not recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. There's just no way to prove it because it's not there. But Paul took that principle and made it something very specific. If I want to lead people in the right way, I must be a giver. I must be one who gives to the whole person. Am I seeing people as more than just a test case? Am I seeing people as more than just a, I can't say that word, statistic? Am I seeing the whole person? And am I trying to give to that whole person, to their spirit as well as their physical needs? That's what it means to be more blessed. And I don't know about you, but when God says in Scripture, blessed is, I want to make sure I'm doing those things. But when God says it's more blessed, I better be 100% sure I'm doing those things. It is a more blessed beatitude 
to be a true, full, complete giver than to be one who receives. Is it wrong to receive? No. That's why he says it's more blessed. It's okay to get sometimes. It's okay to be a receiver. In fact, we are blessed when we receive. But we're more blessed when we give. God loved you enough to give you everything. God loved you enough to give even a son to take your place. To be the one who would stand in for you as a sacrifice. That's how much He gave. Our response is to give our lives to Him. We love Him with heart, soul, mind, and strength. We give Him our all. He's made it clear that if we'll simply have faith in His Son, turn from sin, we call that repentance, confess that Jesus really is Lord and Savior, and then be baptized, immersed in water for the forgiveness or the liberation from our sins, He'll save us. That's God's gift. Have you received it? After that, the rest of our life has to be a gift back to God. Maybe this morning, as a Christian, your life hasn't really been a gift back to God. Maybe it's been stingy. Maybe it's been all about me or some about me. And it's not really been about others and about glorifying God in every way. God's gracious enough. He'll forgive you and let you have a second chance. If you've never become a Christian, or if, you've never, or if you need to be forgiven and let us pray with you, encourage you in that way, we'd love to do that if you'll come while we stand and sing to encourage you.